is over. Is over. Ladies and gentlemen, from the studios in the wrestling capital of the South, it's another terrific episode of The Binge Buster Show. Please welcome your host, Tony Binge. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Binge Buster Show. Uh, I am excited about this week's show as we are going to be uh, talking uh, Motley Crue, Great American Bash. Uh, as, as some of you Motley Crue fans out there know, this week was the anniversary of Theater of Pain. So I thought this week would be a good time to break down that album and, and talk about the tour and all the you know inside things that, that happened or backstage things that happened and just how crazy and wild Motley Crue was. And then to finish out the show, uh, we're going to keep staying within our Jim Crockett Promotions um, shows. And it's the Great American Bash season. So I thought let's break down the Great American Bash 1989. So I am uh, I'm really excited about that. But before I go any further, I got to do the most important thing of my show. I got to bring on my co-host. I'm talking about Mr. Chris Plano. Chris, what is going on? Tony, oh my gosh, another week I can't believe has gone by. You know, thank you for having me on once again and uh Man, there's a lot going on, both just in in the world and in general, and, and so much to talk about. But uh, when you told me we're kicking it back to uh, June 1989, it's uh, got a real special place in my heart with the uh, Great American Bash '89 and uh, uh, the third studio album for Motley Crue with Theater of Pain. And uh, Tony, here's a fact: June of '89 is when I graduated from high school, so it's a special month for me. Uh, up in Connecticut and in a special time. Actually, maybe even to the day around this time is when I graduated some uh, 30 years ago. Oh, wow. that That's really cool. Uh, I remember 89 was a good year for me. Um, I was just getting into uh, high school and uh, and learning everything and learning, you know, what you know what i need to do to to make it through high school without getting beat up or something you know crazy stuff like that but uh 89 was a great year um music was i mean the hair metal bands were that they, they were the top of the line they were all over mtv um so it was a good time to be a wrestling fan and a good time to be a rock and roll fan and that's what most of our listeners are here on the binge buster show we all share that common interest and uh i'm i'm so excited about uh you know breaking down theater of pain and uh also the uh, great american bash 89 but but chris let's let's kind of talk a little bit before we get into the show uh just when we thought north carolina was was headed in the right direction uh our uh, governor lays down the smackdown today as you told me um and now north carolina is mandatory wearing masks out in public chris what are your thoughts on the mask deal well you know tony this whole um you know covid19 pandemic it's like it's like it changes it ebbs and flows every single day and there's a twist and a turn and we got a, another turn earlier today. I, I was told that starting this Friday at 5 o'clock, you know, masks are mandatory statewide. All 100 counties in North Carolina must have a mask on if you are in public. And then in addition to that, he extended our phase two, which was, again, supposed to expire uh, this 
Friday at 5 o'clock. Governor Cooper now has extended it three weeks from now to Friday, July 17th. So just when we thought things were getting better, he hit the brakes uh, with Dr. Mandy Cohen, our, 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 our state director of, of health services, and said, whoa, we're going the wrong way. So, <laughs> so everything's on hold now, and it, it's frustrating for everyone. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, I, uh, Chris, you know me, I like to I like to travel. So I've got another little vacation plan for next week, going back down to your favorite neck of the woods in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, except this time, Chris, I'm staying for a week, not just a couple of days. Uh, but now with this COVID-19 or, you know, the, the phase two uh, mandatory masks uh, and they're talking about when you come back from a different state, you know, got to self-quarantine. So that that might put a little kayfabe to my to my trip. You know, I, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that one out because I definitely don't want to go into 14 days of quarantine and, and not be at work. So. Who knows, man? I'm just I'm just ready to get life back to normal, just like you know everybody is. I know at this point, um, you know it's been Chris. You know I still wrestle, but I haven't been in a wrestling ring since um, January, and and now here wow. it is, and here it is June, almost July, and man, I just I'm I'm ready to get back in there and 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 do my deal, and you know and and work towards my farewell tour. And I dang sure don't want my farewell tour to, to be me sitting behind this microphone talking about my wrestling career. I, I like to at least go out and have a few more matches um, yeah, before I, I you know, hang up the boots or give them to my son or whatever I'm going to do with them. But, uh, but man, come on, we got to get this thing back and we got to get back to normal. And uh, hopefully that's going to happen here in the next few months. Yeah, I, 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 I hope so too. And hopefully things will improve as we get into the fall, though I've already heard some scary stories already towards the uh, second half of, of 2020, but we're going to hope for the best. And boy, talk about the proverbial ring rust, as they say. I think the, the wrestling rings themselves are rusting a little bit besides just you know the guys on the independent circuit just trying to get back in the ring. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's not <laughs> easier said than done, you know, to get back in there and try to rock and roll it when you, you know, you have been, you know, wrestling night after night or, or consistently week to week. Yeah, that that's for sure, and it's uh you know it's it's just been a crazy time, but hopefully you know like I say we're gonna get back to normal and uh, hopefully get back in the ring and and be and entertain our fans and entertain ourselves at this point. Uh, I'm just ready. To, I'm ready to do it. But uh, fans, right now we are going to um to uh, take a little break, and when we come back, the Binge Buster Show will have its first. Uh, edition of talking about theater of pain coming up right after this want to get your event or business advertised around the world then let the binge buster show advertise for you we offer a weekly show that is broadcast over all major podcast platforms including itunes spotify google play iHeartRadio, youtube and much more we offer five levels of advertising to fit any budget so don't hesitate let the binge buster show work for you for information, contact us on our Facebook page at The Binge Buster Show. We look forward to helping you and your business grow. Strap yourself in because we're set up, switched on, and ready to go. All right, fans. Welcome to The Binge Buster Show. I am so excited. 
as Chris and I are going to be breaking down the uh, you know the biggest uh, one of the biggest hits, biggest albums of Motley Crue. I'm talking about Theater of Pain. Chris, what do you think about Theater of Pain? What's your, what's your thoughts? Wow. Uh, <laughs> you know, you know when I think of Theater of Pain, uh, this was um, Motley Crue in an interesting, interesting time in, in their career, right smack dab in the, in the mid-'80s. Uh, you know, they were coming off the, you know, the Too Fast for Love and then, uh, and then the Shout at the Devil uh, albums and taking a little twist in, into their style of music and uh boy just hitting that chord of, of home sweet home it was all about the power balance uh back in the mid to late 80s and motley crew was dabbling into the into the power ballad scene which became a gigantic hit for them and stayed on their set list all the way through the, the final tour with home sweet home yeah and uh and incidentally uh theater of pain was actually Motley Crue's, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Home Sweet Home was uh, the final uh, song that Motley Crue played on the final tour. Yes, they did. That was their, if, if my memory serves me correct, it was a one-song encore uh, that they came back to in, in, in the middle of the arena on, on, the, on the B stage with Tommy Lee, you know, at the, at the, at the piano and the boys around them, and uh, boy, how could you not shed a tear <laughs> when it was the final song of the night? And uh, um, you, you know, it, it's where they were. They were in in their element. Um, and then, of course, with Theater of Pain, you know, smoking in the boys' room <laughs> was the other huge hit off of that album. Uh, you know, for for the band. Um, you know, and it just brings me back to my high school days, you know, that smoking in the boys or not that I was a smoker per se, but it was kind of like the cool thing when you hung out in the bathroom, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> there in high you know, middle and high school. Exactly. And that, that was like the big, um, you know, the, actually smoking in the boys room was the first hit off of this album. Um, and, and to, and to kind of give you, you fans at home listening, uh, the background theater of pain was actually the third studio album by Motley Crue. It was released on June the 21st, 1985. Um, and it was actually released in the aftermath of Vince Neal's arrest for his manslaughter charge on his drunk drunk driving charge where he actually killed um, Razzle Dingley from the band uh, Hanoi Rocks. And uh, if you go back and watch the movie The Dirt, that you know it, it covers that, that, that time frame. But, um, you know, like I said, the first hit was Smoking in the Boys' Room. But without a doubt, Motley Crue's biggest hit ever um, was Home Sweet Home. Yeah, oh, ab- absolutely. And, you know, you kind of wondered, you know, a little bit. You look at, you know, coming off of that Shout at the Devil album and, and, and the hits off of that particular album is, you know, where's Motley Crue going from here, you know, where's the rock and roll scene go- coming from here? MTV is, you know, full fledged at this point on, on, on music television and cable TV, and you know they they hit it just right with this album. You know, when I think of smoking in the boys' room, I also think of you know Alice Cooper's hit, you know, "School's Out for Summer," <laughs> a little bit yeah. uh, too, and it, it just got like that. You know, I gotta be a part of it, like the cool kid kind of, you know, you know, theme to it. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, the one one of the the kind of the, the give you the idea of Theater of Pain. Um, the album, like I said earlier, was released on June the twenty first, nineteen eighty five. Um, Motley Crue recorded this album from January to May nineteen eighty five, and it was actually they recorded it in at the Cherokee Studios. Um, in Hollywood, California, and uh, and Chris, on, on one of my trips to out to L.A., I actually drove by there um, and actually saw this studio. I kind of found it. Uh, it's it funny. I was, I'm out driving sightseeing, and I found uh, actually I found three things um, by total accident. I wasn't even looking for them. I just driving. Like, Whoa! I pull in. Uh, one of them, of course, was 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 this studio. Um, the other one was Electra Records, which is actually the original uh, record company that uh, this uh, album was actually released on. And, Chris, I found another uh, studio that I really wasn't looking for, uh, but I also found the um, one one of the porn <laughs> studios. Uh, I was almost tempted to go knock on the door and, and see if they wanted me to come do an audition, but no, nah, I'm just joking. But, but, but I mean, it, it was, it was kind of neat. Like, all those were kind of like in the same little strip mall, but, you know, up, up above they had these big signs, you know, uh, of of the different studios which i thought was kind of cool but but uh getting back to to theater of pain uh the album cover uh the 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 logo with with the with the with the mask you know the theater mask um was uh was i, I you know that when you see that album cover it's so iconic you know right oh yeah i mean it's it, it you know it's it's got the you know the, the the smiley face on it the scary face it's got the you know the classic crew logo um, you know, and, and it, it was just a, a, a look for Motley Crue, um, you know, just, just overall. And when you read about this album and, and I read about it, I mean, again, I know I alluded they were coming off the, you know, the Shout at the Devil album, you know, a couple of years earlier. Um, I think Crue, this was at a point in their career where they were really also partying really hard. At, at, <laughs> not that they didn't party hard all the time, but I, I, I think this was probably a stage in their career where they were, you know, Vince coming off the car accident They're, They were under a lot of pressure just coming off the tour. I think they were even maybe even trying to outdo the shout of the devil album uh, with this particular album, just because the pressure was so mounted, you know, on the band to try to always one up, you know, the next album. So it was really an interesting time, you know, just for the band overall. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure, and uh, and you know, and one of the things that that uh, that that you got to think about during this time to give you an idea of just how great of a songwriter that Nikki Six is during the time of him writing all these songs, he was battling his 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 heroin addict. You know, you know, he, he was he was a heroin addict during this time, um, and even though he was he was a junkie, he was still writing some really really strong lyrics. No, absolutely, absolutely, and you know, there were some real great contributions to the album. Um, you know, and, I, and I've even learned learned something I didn't realize it was actually their third, you know, studio album. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the band until I did some further, uh, you know, research with them. But you know, it, it just in true crew fashion, supported a tour off the album. Um, you know, but really, we're going deep in the ball. There actually are some good hidden gem songs also on the album that they traditionally, you know, didn't play in some, you know, future tours. But, you know, you know, I know we've touched upon just a couple of songs, 
But there were also a couple other good ones that I personally, um, you know, liked in the album personally. Um, you know, Louder Than Hell kind of sticks out a little bit, a very short crew song, but one that I, that I you know, was a, was a favorite of, of mine. And then um, Raise Your Hands to Rock, which was another uh, kind of cool tune, um, both songs written by Nikki Six that kind of stick out to me beside the, the, the couple of big hits off the album. Yeah, uh, one of, one of my favorite uh, songs um, was uh, the uh, "Tonight We Need a Lover." Um, mm-hmm. That that uh, song uh, has has some great uh, it has some great lyrics in it. Um, one of the uh, if when when you know when when you listen to the lyrics, you you, you it starts off you know uh, as Vince is singing, he says. 90,000 screaming watts, honey dripping from her pot. And just just those few words kind of gives you the idea of what it was like to live a day in the life of Motley Crue because they were, you know, uh, on stage and all the lights and the sound and the, and, and the energy. But then when they came off the stage, they had all these girls just waiting for them. Um, I mean, you know, Chris, it'd be kind of a hard life to live, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it, yes, it, 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 yeah. Well, all depends how you look at it, but it, 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 you know, it could wear on you. I mean, you know, you know, you know, after a while, it just, you know, sort of wear on you. But I think these guys, they were, they were living the life at this point, and they lived it, whether it was, you know, on stage, on camera, on tour, off the stage, or wherever. I mean, they constantly were living it, and uh, and they did. I don't think they left any stones that were not un- unturned along the way no definitely not and and looking back uh on the tour uh the tour um actually kicked off on july the 7th 1985 uh they had seven shows in japan uh, uh and then uh, on the last four nights uh they, they had a four-night run in tokyo which sold out so quickly that promoters added a fifth show just to satisfy the uh, demand of people wanting uh, Motley Crue, um, and then uh, after that, they 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 actually re- remained on the road for eight months, uh, and they actually completed the tour in Paris, France, uh, on March the third, nineteen eighty six. And uh, during all this time, uh, all this stuff that's going on, you know, them going in Tokyo, and this was actually the time, if I if I remember right, uh, when they were on tour. And uh, they were over in Japan, and Nikki and Tommy were on the bullet train, and I think that that's when they, uh, I think Nick Nikki ended up throwing a Jack Daniels bottle, and uh, him and Tommy getting arrested, and and it's just you know it's just total mayhem on that tour, uh, but uh, but man, you know I think the Theater of Pain tour was was actually the the tour that was actually uh, grooming us to kind of see exactly how crazy and wild and insane motley crew would be because they were starting to get messed up during this tour but by the time girls 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 came through they were i mean i've I've even heard vince say it during the girls 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 tour they were a complete mess i mean they were you know right uh like like i said go back and watch the dirt and and you'll kind of see uh a day in the life of motley crew and uh man Chris, what I wouldn't do to be 22, 23 years old and just I would just be the guy to just, you know, push the, you know, the, push the lights on onto the truck 
uh, or drive them, you know, be, be their bus driver. Could you imagine being Motley Crue's bus driver in 85 to oh 87? <laughs> that bus could be found in some places. He may not even want to repeat the Oh, brother, I'm telling <laughs> you, man. What a, what a time I, that would be. I did, I, I did just read something uh, just, just quickly as I was, I, was, I was skimming some of my notes, which, which kind of caught my eye. Um, you know, but, you know, it said, you know, the album, you know, always either got, you know, mixed reviews or even maybe slightly negative reviews, but actually People Magazine praised guitarist Mick Mars at this time saying that it may have been some of his best work um, <laughs> on lead guitar for the, for the band. And I think that's a tribute to maybe just some of the other songs that were on the album and, and, and just where the band was at musically at that point. Um, you know, so props for him, you know, you know, getting that, that kind of, uh, you know, re remarks coming off of people magazine. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, and you know, one, one of the cool things that, um, you know, and we, we kind of touched on this on one of our previous podcasts, uh, as we were talking about how, um, MTV was really launching, uh, you know, the, the heavy metal scene, well, you know, rock, just the music in general. Um, but during this time, uh, Motley Crue, uh, you know their their image was was very glam. Uh, I mean, and and it was it was like a huge difference between the last album, Shout the Devil, where they you know looked like you know that they just came in from from the movie Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Um, and right. Went went from that to this really glam uh, glammed out uh, theme, which which kind of reminded you of Poison. Um, but but during this time, you, you, you know, you, you had you had Motley Crue dressed like this, but it was also you know you, you also had bands like Poison that were coming out and they were dressed in the same way. Uh, Twisted Sister, I mean, there there were there were tons and tons of bands that had that glam look, um, and um, and you know, in the video "Smoking in the Boys' Room," uh, it actually took MTV by storm. Uh, in the summer of '85, the video the, that video expanded upon a theme common in the 80s metal that that actually put high, um, high school nerd universe is what they called it in which in which relief from the forces of oppression uh, is found through the power of heavy metal music uh, and is and it's actually ex exemplified uh, to be so so successful by videos such as smoking in the boys room twisted sisters we're not going to take it and I want to rock and the video was actually targeted by Tipper Gore um, so I mean, they, they, they were making headlines in 85 and, uh, you know, and it just took off and, and actually, uh, the song smoking in the boys room was actually, uh, featured, um, it, it featured a, a veteran horror movie icon, Michael Berryman. We, we even talked about this on another podcast, um, which, which he, he was best known for his performance in Wes Craven's the Hills have eyes. So, I mean, at, by 85, we knew Motley Crue. Uh, you know that they were a big band, but they were you know they 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 definitely had so much more potential and over the horizon, um, and and I, I you know at the end of the day I think Theater of Pain was was a really really good album, um, you know it 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 sold a ton, um, you know a, a ton of albums, um, it, it made them a lot of money, and uh, and it actually made it to the Billboard 200. It was number six. And uh, smoking in the boys' room in 1985 was actually one of the top, the uh, most top um, songs. Uh, it actually uh, stayed at number 16 on the Billboard Hot 100 list for for several weeks. 
So uh, definitely a a great um, a, a great album. Uh, and um, in 1995, uh, Theater of Pain was four times platinum, and it sold o- over four million copies. And I'm sure as as of today, it's way more than that. So uh, you know, a great album at, at the end of the day, Chris. Oh, a- absolutely. You know what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is you know. As a as a as a high school student back there in in, in the mid to late '80s, is and you know back then they were called Walkmans. Tony, I would love to know how many oh, man. boys were in the bathroom smoking, listening to that song on their Walkman, or maybe even silently in their head playing it and uh, smoking a cigarette and <laughs> yeah, and, and living. <laughs> I, mean, it, I can only imagine how many can uh, would love to say that they did that. Yeah, and and living the dream. I mean, it was like you know. <laughs> uh such you know fun times man fun times during you know i i wish i wasn't you know 11 years old then and i was like more like 17 or 18 because i'm sure mm-hmm. i, I would have had a whole lot more fun <laughs> uh than i did but i mean it was great it was still a good time the 80s man i you know if, if i could build a time machine uh i would go back to 1984 and i'd i'd live from 84 to 89 all over again because that was like some of the best years of my life absolutely Absolutely. I, I don't regret it at all. I, I, for me, I think it was a perfect time for, for, for rock and roll. And, 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 and I was in high school from 85 to 89 and, and just so many great bands. It was like, it was just like hit after hit after hit. And it was just like, they were all coming off and, and off the MTV music television. And, and they, it was just, and no matter what you put on there, it was clicking. Yeah, yeah, it was always – everything was a hit back then. It's like heavy metal music, you know, glam metal, hair metal. I mean, man, it, it was it was, it was, was a top – it was a thing to do. It was a thing to listen to. Um, and, man, those days were the best. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we can go about talking about it, you know, all, all night. And, uh, you, you know, and, and it was a great part of, of their career, Motley Crue. And obviously, bigger and better things for the bands as uh, for that band as the years went on. Yeah, very good. All right, fans, stay tuned. Uh, we're gonna take another little quick break, and when we come back, it's the final, uh, the, the main event, if you call it, uh, of the Binge Buster Show coming up right after this. Please follow us on Facebook and subscribe via iTunes. This week's classic flashback. All right, fans, welcome back to the Binge Buster Show. Uh, as we are coming to you this week, fans, and we're talking Great American Bash 89, the glory days from Baltimore, Maryland. This show took place on July the 23rd, 1989 in Baltimore, Maryland at the Baltimore Arena. The attendance was 14,500 with the main event being Nature Boy Ric Flair putting the NWA World Heavyweight title on the line against the newly uh, arrived uh, foe, but he's not really new, he's been around the wrestling business forever, and also a former NWA champion, and Terry Funk. Terry Funk and Ric Flair headlines this show, uh, but also we have some other great matches, you know, including Ricky Steamboat and Lex Luger, Sting versus Great Muda, and many more, and Chris, Talk us through this, man. What was your thoughts of the Great American Bash, nineteen eighty nine? Boy, you know, 
Tony, I mean, you could argue, I, I mean, you, you, when you look at the Great American Bash, uh, you know, as a whole, year after year, what the NWA was putting on, some will argue this may have been one of the best Great American Bashes and one of the best pay-per-views that the NWA put on, you, you know, overall. I mean, just the level of talent that were on was on the cards, the type of matches, and and and. and Flair versus Funk in the main event, you know it's going to be a bloodbath and a brawl oh <laughs> before both, gosh, uh, yeah. both wrestlers even leave the locker room and uh, and and you know pull up your bootstraps, boys. We're going for a ride on on this one. I mean, it could very well have been the best pay per view that the, the NWA ever ever put on. If not, it's got to be. If not the best, it's got to be top five. I would think for yeah. the company. I agree with you, Chris. And and the Great American Bash '89 was actually the fifth, and uh, in '89 it was actually the fifth annual Great American Bash pay per view uh, produced by. And by this time, it was produced by World Championship Wrestling. Uh, Crockett had already sold the NWA right. uh, to Ted Turner, but they were still operating under the NWA banner. Uh, but, Correct. But if you go back and look, it says World Championship Wrestling presents. The Great American Bash, um, and uh, you know during this time, uh, like like I said, that th- this show took place on Ju- July twenty third, nineteen eighty nine. The main event uh, was a definite, plain standard bloodbath for the NWA World Heavyweight Title. Ric Flair defending against Terry Funk, uh, and and actually uh, the thing about this was uh, Terry Funk had actually attacked Ric Flair uh, back in April or May. Um, after after he won the title back from Ricky Steamboat during that 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 fiasco because I mean Flair and Steamboat had some classic stuff, um, but they brought they brought Terry Funk in and kind of pushed Steamboat out out of the limelight a little bit. Uh, they they had him they had uh, they 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 paired him off with Lex Luger, which I think was good for Luger. But uh, the matches between Steamboat and Luger were not the caliber of matches that that we witnessed you know months earlier between Steamboat and Flair, um, which, in my opinion, arguably, you know, the two best workers in the business was Flair and Steamboat. I, I could watch their matches. I mean, th- those guys could wrestle for an hour, and you wouldn't see the, you know, the uh, the uh, same spots or same moves. So I thought that was really good. But breaking down the, the matches on this show, uh, you know, some of the, the big the big matches on there uh, was uh, the, um, the Dynamic Dudes, which was actually Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas, uh, as they square off against the skyscrapers of Sid Vicious and Dangerous Dan Spivey. Chris, what are your thoughts on, on, on this match? I mean, this was, uh, I mean, I mean, at the time, I remember the skyscrapers were just, like, huge. I mean, as far as from a height standpoint and a build standpoint, especially with Sid Vicious, who was just a, a maniac in the ring. You didn't know who you were getting in there with night no, after never. night. Uh, um, you, you know, for those guys, but then you know, I look at like Johnny Ace and Shane Douglas, and you know, um, I'm not sure it would be like the first, you know, tag team, you know, from a chemistry standpoint, how they would do overall. Um, you know, it's it almost like it's a wild card kind of tag team, um, you, you know, to begin with. But I mean, the match did go nine minutes long. Skyscrapers, uh, uh, you, you know, defeated the Dynamic Dudes in that match, but it was definitely an interesting match. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, I've read some reviews on it. It said maybe it went a little too long. I don't, I don't know. 
it, it just seems like two different styles just, you know, amongst the four wrestlers. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think that that match could have been five minutes and the fans would, would have still got what they wanted to see, which was the, during this time they were building up the skyscrapers, getting them ready for the road warriors. Um, and, and, you know, once in 1990, once that feud started, it was really good. Um, but uh, I, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit. The, the first match on this show was actually a two-ring King of the Hill Battle Royal uh, featuring uh, the Skyscrapers, uh, Wild Bill Irwin, Flying Brian Pillman, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, Ringmaster Kevin Sullivan, Mike Rotundo, Ranger Ross, Rick Steiner, Ron Simmons, Scott Hall, hey yo, uh, Scott Steiner, Dr. Desty Williams and Terry Bam Bam Gordy, man, what a what a bunch of, of tough guys that were in that. And of course, at the end, um, the the skyscrapers end up winning it, and they 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 split the pot and they give the crown to um, to um, their manager uh, Teddy Long. Um, then from there, we, we 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 go to a little singles match, Flying Brian against uh, Wild Bill Irwin. That match went about ten minutes. Uh, it was a pretty good match. Um, now, during this time, we got two managers uh, that are that are both really good talkers, really entertaining. I'm talking about uh, Jim Cornette and Paul E. Dangerously. So they have this match here, uh, a tuxedo match. You know, you to win the match, you got to rip your opponent's tuxedo off. Uh, and and they went, all, you know, for them to be two managers, they went in there and they worked their tails off. But one of the funny things of commentaries I remember hearing uh, Jim Ross say, uh, Cornette snatches a headlock, he shoots uh, uh, dangerously in the ropes, and they come back and do a you know a double down. And uh, and and Jim Ross says, normally I would say they collided like two Mack trucks. He said, but these guys collide like a couple old Volkswagens. I thought that was a pretty pretty funny commentary. Yeah, I mean, this was obviously, I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know why you say it was the comedy match of the show, but I think it was, you know, an entertaining match, a tuxedo match. You know, someone's getting stripped at the end here. <laughs> I mean, yeah. obviously, um, you know, it, you know, it was fourth match on the show, I believe. So, I mean, probably strategically placed, um, you know, being a, you know, the show started off with a battle royal singles match and then a tag match. Now we're back to a singles again. So probably also wanted to get this match out of the way as well, because you're really loaded with so much talent uh, down the line, uh, you know, a couple of matches down, you know, so they obviously this probably was a good fit, but Hey, Jim Cornette on top, Paulie on the bottom. And, um, you know, obviously wasn't done, uh, you know, for the evening later on managing, but it was a, you know, I'm sure it was an entertaining match overall. And who doesn't like a tuxedo in the ring and some sharp dressed men? That's right. And, 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 and I'm like you, it was very entertaining. I enjoyed it. Uh, the next match, uh, was a Texas tornado match. And this match was insane. <laughs> the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott with their manager, which is kind of, you're going to, you're going to trip out when I tell you this, Missy Hyatt, uh, was their manager or valet, um, and they uh, were against the Varsity Club uh, of Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotundo. Um, this match went about four minutes and twenty-two seconds, and it was just an all-out brawl. But I remember, uh, you know, as everyone knows, Missy High is is known for her, um, you know, her her uh, bodaciousness, as you call it. Um, but on this show, I remember as Rick and Scott are walking down the aisle, 
Missy's in front of them, and 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 uh, and Chris, she's wearing like this hot pink, like strapless, uh, leather looking dress, right? And as she's coming, wow. and as she's coming down the aisle, Jim Ross is like, and he's commentating with Bob Cottle, and he says, "Now there's a pair for you, Bob." And he goes, "Now I'm I'm talking about the Steiners," and I just, I, but the camera was like zoomed in on her chest, so I I, I thought that was that was that was pretty funny commentary as well. Jim, Jim Ross was very entertaining and funny. Uh, he has some funny stuff uh, on this show. Uh, now we now the next match we go to was was actually one of my favorites on this show. It was for the NWA World Television Title, uh, the undefeated Great Muda with Gary Hart uh, against um, the, the 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 which which later on would would become the flagship of WCW. Uh, Sting he was the current uh, NWA World Television Champion, uh, and they and they kind of put him back. With his his former tag team partner, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Uh, now Eddie Gilbert's a babyface, and but he but you know he walks Sting to the ring, and uh, it was a great match. Ends with a double pin. Uh, so after that, the NWA t- uh, television title was held up. Um, Chris, do you what, what what do you think about that match between Sting and Great Muda? I I, I mean Muda at this point of his career, you know could beat anyone on any, on any given night. <laughs> you know, you never, he was just a, a, a bad ass in the ring part of my yeah. language, but he, but he was. And, yeah. you know, and again, I remember Muda from, you know, world-class championship wrestling, you know, in, in, in Texas. So, you know, I, I could see where, where Gary Hart's involved in this sting at this point, it, you know, over as, as, you know, a favorite in the ring. Um, you know, you, you know, I would say probably second to flair, at, at this time, you know, in 1989 with the fans and, and with WCW and the NWA. So, I mean, I mean, what can you ask? You know it's going to be a great match no matter what. And then the World TV title on the line as well, you know, sweetens the pot that, that much. But, you know, I know, you know, you know, Sting, you know, in this, you know, match, you know, um, you know, Ended with a double pin, but I mean, it was kind of a weird finish. But I mean, if Muda went over on this, it wouldn't even have surprised me at all. Yeah, definitely not. And uh, and during this time, I thought Great Muda had had the the most awesome uh, ring entrance music. And and uh, here's here's a here's a little clip of it now. It was very it was very entertaining. I mean, when you hear this music and you see Muda coming down the aisle with Gary Hart, I mean, very, very cool look and very, uh, very realistic, you know, like as, as a Japanese, you know, ninja. Mm. Very much so. And, and, you know, when you, you know, you hear that music, you know, it's coming to the ring, you, you know, bringing, bringing a, a skill set to the ring that, is not your traditional wrestling style. And, you know, no matter who he's going to go up against, you know, they're going to be in for a battle, um, you know, no matter what. And, you know, I loved Muda's style in the ring. It was it was somewhat a little different as well. And, and you know, you always had to be on your A game. I mean, no, no, matter, no matter what. And then, of course, that, you know, mystical green myth can come out whenever. Um, and, you know, it just, it just had a, a repertoire of weapons. 
you know, when he was in the ring, you know, no matter who he was against, whether it was singles or, or even, uh, you know, rare tag team appearances. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, it was like, like one of the coolest things, uh, or coolest looks is, is having Muda, you know, he would, he would come out there and, um, and actually, um, sp- you know, spray that mist and uh and and up up into muda the last person to do that was the great kabuki uh and i know probably a lot of you younger listeners out there are probably going, who is well who's he talking about but the great kabuki uh was actually for the the first japanese star that i saw uh you know spray the green mist you know he he, he actually sprayed it in our good friend jimmy Valiant's eyes back in 1984 so now we're five years later and we got the great muda and they actually built him as the great Kabuki son for a, for a while, uh, you know, to give him that rub. So, uh, but man, the great, the great Muda was an awesome, awesome athlete. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, top conditioning and, and having a guy like sting in the ring as your opponent, you know, two great well-conditioned athletes and you know, they're going to put on a show for the fans. Yeah, it was definitely a, a, a great a great show. Now that takes us to our next match. Um, when you hear this music, you know the total package is coming down the aisle. And and Chris, this 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 right here was actually my favorite theme of Lex Luger back in the day. Do you, do you remember this one? Yes, I do. I, I yes, the the beat does sound familiar. Yeah, I mean, just that heavy metal, uh, heavy metal. You know, just just hearing that song, man, you're like, okay, yeah, he's uh he's coming down, and it's going to be great. And um, but uh, th- this match between Luger and Steamboat was really good. Uh, they they really, I mean, Luger and and Steamboat put on a tremendous a tremendous show uh, during this one, and. Um, and, you know, uh, it was just a great match for the United States Championship. Ends up in a disqualification. Uh, Luger pulls out the chair and hits Steamboat, gets DQ, and keeps the belt. But uh, a, a really awesome match. Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, you know, Luger, obviously a, a physical presence in, in the ring to, to a smaller Steamboat. You, you know, again, when you think of this, and you alluded a few minutes ago, this match was a great match. It was never on the level of a steamboat versus flare match, nor was this match designed to go 60 minutes on any given night either. <laughs> but, you know, at the time, actually I was reading some, some comments on this match and, and, and some uh, reviews, and they were saying that this particular match may have been one of the best of Luger's career. Yeah. At that particular time but you know you got to look at who his opponent was in the ring as well and probably <laughs> help get to that level of this could be one of your best career matches you know because steamboat is gonna you know make anyone work in the ring to make them make themselves look good yeah for sure uh i, I mean steamboat was it was probably in the greatest condition luger was in great condition uh man it it, it just made for for a really good match I, I think and and this 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 match went 10 minutes 26 seconds with like i said luger uh being disqualified keeping the keeping the united states title uh now that now after that match it takes us to a um a really 
uh, a really weird. I say weird, uh, but when 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 I read when I when I tell you about the teams, you're you're gonna be scratching your head, going, "What? They're 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 a team, but they they do they bring back the war games." Um, and of course we, you know, we, we, we've, we've talked about the war games on previous podcasts, but, uh, it's, it almost seems like the war games become a, uh, you know, in the eighties, it was, it was a, a consummate match during the great American bashes. And then of course, uh, in the nineties, uh, it, it transferred from the great American bash to fall brawl, uh, war games. And that, and that kind of like uh, finished out that, 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 that gimmick of war games, but this match was tremendous just because of the people involved uh and and my all-time favorite tag team uh is involved in this and when you hear this music chris you're like yes i'm talking about the midnight express beautiful bobby sweet stand uh are actually uh in this uh war games match uh and it's uh the, the Road Warriors, the Midnight Express, and Dr. Death, Steve Williams with Jim Cornette and Paul Ellering taking on the fabulous Freebirds, Jimmy Garvin, Michael Hayes, Terry Gordy, and the SST Samoan SWAT team, Fatu and Samu with Paul E. Dangerously. Uh, this match goes 22 minutes, 18 seconds with, of course, the Road Warriors and Midnight Express winning uh, this match. Um, but, Chris... Talk us, talk us through this war games. I mean, you know, you got you got some some heavy metal hitters uh, in this match with the Road Warriors and the um, the uh, Samoan SWAT team. Yeah, wow. Um, I, I mean, when I when I when I think war games, I I, I have to think. You know, I always go back to Dusty Rhodes, Four Horsemen. <laughs> you know. When I, when I when I think war games and we and we've talked about it over over the years, um, you know this was an interesting match. I mean, and again you had the fabulous Freebirds, the Samoan SWAT team, and you know I know you just said uh, you know the Midnight Express and the Road Warriors who obviously participated in numerous war games in, in in prior years. But kudos to some of this talent in this match to participate in a war games type match because. It's a signature concept of the NWA. You know, obviously they were moving over to, to world championship wrestling and um, great exposure as the, as the semi-main event as it was built up, um, you know, for this particular uh, Great American Bash and, and this, you know, and, and event overall. So, I mean, um, yeah, it's a, it's a mix. I, I, was, I was a little thrown by the Samoan SWAT team. <laughs> That's, that's the only one that's throwing me a little bit of a curveball, but overall solid, um, along with Steve Williams in there as, as well and several managers outside. It, it was just a little bit of everything for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, and Chris, if if you go back and uh, and 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 watch this, uh, or you know the the actual Samoan SWAT team, they um, they actually came out to the to the horror the horror movie. Uh, theme Halloween, um, and and I, th- I thought that 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 song uh, kind of fit them you know, pretty good back then. Uh, you know, imagine being in the ring, and and of course, you know, hearing hearing this, you know, the 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 Michael Myers uh, song, mm-hmm. and then seeing the the these two Samoan savages come into the ring of Polly Dangerously, you know that you're about to get you know your 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 tail whooped, you know. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and just that, that song in general, for some, may even bring chills up your spine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it is like, it maybe even raise the hair on the back of your neck. Yeah, that, that <laughs> um, is for sure. Uh, as, as, as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, interesting, and um, at a time um, uh, where the Freebirds were, uh, you know, Jimmy Garvin was a Freebird. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You, you know, with, with Michael Hayes and, and, and Terry Gordy at this time. So, an, you know, an interesting time. Great mag, great talent in the ring, um, you know, and just a, a great lead. And, you know, I know obviously with the main event um, looming, um, you know, and then the Road Warriors at this point, I mean, we're just so over. It's like, you know, <laughs> yeah. trying to handle all this. And obviously they end up, uh, you know, going over, you know, in, in the war games. And actually during this time, uh, you know, uh, Garvin and Hayes were the NWA World Tag Team Champions, uh, and and so in this War Games, you, you you actually had several people involved in these little feuds. Uh, Doctor Death and Terry Gordy were in a feud. Uh, the Midnight Express and um, the um, the Freebirds were in a feud. The Road Warriors and the SST, and of course Cornette and, da- and Dangerously. Uh, you know, war games is, is you know supposed to be the blow off. That's supposed to be the the end all, you know, be all. Um, and and when I remember watching this match, and man, they were hitting each other so hard. I remember hearing J- Jim Ross say, "Oh my God, this is like a demolition derby with human bodies." Um, and it really was because Hawk and Animal were 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 beating the crap out of everybody. Um, there there was one scene in there where actually Rower Hawk picked up, um jimmy garvin and press slammed him in the cage and then threw him into the cage like a javelin uh i mean it was very brutal uh but i mean it, it was a very great match I, I definitely enjoyed it but getting us to the main event the one that we've been trying to get to um rick flair defending the world heavyweight title against terry funk with with gary hart um, and actually, Gary, this was like the first time that Gary Hart came to the ring with Terry Funk, um, and of course, they actually started that that little um, that that, that uh, you know Gary Hart's little little stable with uh, with 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 Terry Funk and Great Muda and Dirty Dick Slater, uh, you know, and, and they were feuding against Flair and Sting. But um, this match goes seventeen minutes twenty three seconds, and and as Jim Ross would say. It was one of the most physical battles he'd ever witnessed live. Um, but Ric Flair and Terry Funk really brought it to it. They fought all over the building. Uh, and then, of course, they get Muda involved and Sting involved and and really took and, and let the people know, hey, in the next few months, we're going to see some great uh, tag matches. And I actually did get to go w- to the Greensboro Coliseum uh, shortly after this and actually see a tag team match, Ric Flair and Sting versus Muda and Terry Funk and man, it was very, it was a great, great, uh, entertaining match. Um, Chris, what, what, what are your thoughts on Terry Funk and Ric Flair? Well, like I, you know, like I said earlier, I mean, you know, it's going to be a brawl. Um, they probably should have made it a tape this match. <laughs> they were at it with Terry yeah. Funk, uh, you know, coming down the aisle and you know, you just know you're going to get a brawl. Flair was a, obviously a, a, a baby a baby face at this time, you know, in WCW on top with the world title. Um, and, uh, you, but, you know, I still thought at this juncture of their careers, I know Funk did a hell of a lot 
a hell of a lot in professional wrestling, but, you know, I mean, you just had to know Flair somehow, some way was going to walk out with the title. Um, yeah. You know, just just at that juncture of his career. Um, I This was the buildup, if not, I believe, towards Halloween Havoc. Was it not off of this pay-per-view? It was, uh, th- this pay-per-view was actually building towards the Clash of the Champions, Okay. Uh, I believe that 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 they were having shortly after this, uh, it, but um, but what a uh, what what a tremendous uh, sh- uh, event this was, and and Chris, uh, one one of the things that I enjoyed the most was at the beginning of the show they uh, do an interview with Ric Flair, and and Ric Flair is not the Ric Flair because at this point Flair had just turned babyface because he like I said earlier he was coming off of his feud with Ricky Steamboat, and of course where right. Flair is the he is the consummate heel. He's out there telling Ricky, you know, one of the Clash of Champions, that he was telling Ricky, you know, they're getting ready for their match. And he told Ricky, he said, he said, Ricky, so Flair's out there with his mink coat on, got a couple women with him. And he's out there, you know, talking to Rick, to Ricky Steamboat. And Steamboat's telling him, you know, Ric Flair, you know, uh, you know, you you uh, stand for everything I don't stand for. You know, I, I stand for you know, my family, my this, and 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 all all you all you stand for, Ric Flair, is like you know me uh materialistic things and money and power. And then Ricky Steamboat said, right. or so then Flair says to Steamboat, he's he says, girls, he says, I want you to take a look at what a loser looks like. He says, Ricky, and this is a classic line, Ricky, why don't you go home and help the misses? with the dishes i'm going downtown pal and from that point they uh-huh. went in, they, they they started fighting and steamboat rips off rick flair's clothes and flair is in the ring in his underwear and they're fighting and and it was great and then they have the show uh flair ends up winning the title back from steamboat terry funk comes out turn you know turns on flair turns flair babyface and now they're off to the races um, and they and they have this Great American Bash with Flair and, and Terry Funk, but at the beginning of the show they interview Ric Flair and he's very solemn and he's very calm and it's not the Ric Flair we always been seeing on TV of screaming and yelling and hollering and just being over the top. Uh, he was very he was very focused, you know. I, you know he's basically was letting everybody know, hey, you know, if Terry Funk pile drives me, you know, my career could be over um, and that kind of thing. And then when the end of the match came and, and Luger, I'm mean, sorry, uh, Muda came out and Steen came out and they're brawling all over the Baltimore arena. As the show was getting ready to go off the air, Jim Ross and um, Bob Cottle pull Ric Flair and Sting over. And uh, at that time, Ric Flair has, has this to say. I haven't said thank you in 10 years. Thank you, pal. Now the bottom line is, Terry Funk, we just started, pal. We just got warmed up. After two and a half months, I'm just breaking a good sweat. So wherever it is, and Paul, it'll be again soon. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to dog you until I wear your Texas ass out. And that was the Ric Flair that we are accustomed to know, (laughs) you know? (laughs) <laughs> boy no not a loss for words there not at all um, by mean, the nature boy he was fired up i mean, I mean fired he was, up he was fired, fired up mm-hmm. he was fired uh, he got up. his own self fired up but uh but you know just listen to him talk you know back then it's like i want to buy a ticket you know this 
This show was 1989, and hearing that just now, it gave me goosebumps and makes me want to go buy a ticket. But, you know, the show's not there, but I wish it was because, I mean, that's 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 how much passion and power that 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 Ric Flair portrayed in the 80s. I mean, it was it was it was nothing like it will never be duplicated again. No, never, ever, ever, ever from a from a from a interviewing standpoint, from a storyline standpoint, uh, just the look, the image, everything. It all just fell into place, and it was just a it, it, it fit during that time and for that generation of, of wrestling fans. It was it was a very good time, um, a very good show. Uh, all in all, Chris. The Great American Bash 89, I mean, it was packed full of matches, packed full of stars, and the finish of the show was nothing but fireworks, blood, and guts, and it was just total uh, classic NWA. Absolutely, and also, you know, I do want to, we do, I want to give a nod here, you know, um, as I was looking, you know, Jim Ross and and Bob Collins, they were commentating, but Leighton, you know, Gordon Soley was doing the interviewing for this particular yes. uh, uh, event back in the day and, and all he did for wrestling and, uh, the, you know, towards going towards the, the tail end of, of his career. Still doing, you know, TV work at that at that time and, uh, um, you know, what what a voice he had. I mean, he didn't even, didn't even need to look at the screen. You knew who was talking uh, yeah. uh, before you, uh, if you were a wrestling fan that watched it week to week. Gordon, you know, there, there's a few voices in wrestling. When you hear those voices, you, you know who they are. You know, you know automatically. And Gordon Sully was he's at the top of that list. Uh, number two is Truckin' Tom Miller, who was the ring announcer for the NWA Crockett Promotions in the 80s. Um, and number three uh, is definitely Jim Ross. I mean, Jim Ross, nobody has a voice like Jim. And, um, you know, they, they, these commentators do such a wonderful job of painting pictures and and helping us understand really what's going on in these matches and and really getting us more involved and um and man i mean like i said earlier what a great time to be a wrestling fan in the 80s it was a, it was a great time um you know for uh you know just for wrestling a lot was happening with with the nwa over the wcw um you know there were talent on the card and it was just a great time I mean, just to be a wrestling fan in general and I mean the wrestling wars were on I haven't even noticed at that time Dusty Rhodes was already in the WWF doing his thing um, you know back in June 89 so I mean and but hey they paid tribute to the war games and, and they never forgot where they came from and you know just a great time and a great card great crowd in Baltimore Maryland a, a, a hot city and a and a, and a staple one, you know, for the uh, NWA and WCW back in the day. Yeah, for for sure. Now, fans, one thing I want to want to bring up to everyone right now, uh, as as when you hear our podcast from the beginning and the end, uh, our intro song, which is a really kick butt song, I love it. Uh, it's called Saturday Night Superstar. It's by the rock band Fair Warning. Uh, want to give them a shout out, fans, if if. Once this COVID nineteen's over and they start opening up these bars and you can go back and, and listen to you know, listen to bands play, if you don't go watch Fair Warning play, you're missing out on a really great show. There was a time in my life when I was promoting wrestling shows and 
fair warning would play and we would wrestle and man what a combination it was it was so much fun um so i want to thank the guys at fair warning for uh allowing us to use their 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 great hit saturday night superstar here on the binge buster show and um uh, brian uh the lead singer he actually just sent me an invite um there, you know, and I, of course, now this is up in the air, fans, but I, I still want to announce this. Uh, Fair warning has got a show scheduled to play at Baxter's on July the 4th celebration. Uh, that's going to be uh, held at Baxter's, which is uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, go like the Fair Warning Band fan uh, Facebook page, uh, and there you'll learn all the you know, all the places that they're going to be playing um, and get more information on this great event. Chris, a great, another great podcast, man. Thank you again for being my co-host. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking with you and, and doing these shows together and getting your input and my input because, uh, man, it's like, it's like we, 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 you're from the North, I'm from the South, but when it comes to music and wrestling, we both are right there in the, right there together. Man, I'm I'm telling you, it's been great. Like I said, you you brought me back to my my high school days and graduation, June '89, a, a very very special time in my life and uh, great memories and, um, and just great times. I there there probably almost a day doesn't go by that wish I was I was I was still back in that time because it, it, it I don't think you'll ever see it again. No, no, definitely not. Um, but. Uh... Again, fans, thank you for uh, joining us each week on our on our Binge Buster show. Uh, make sure you go and uh, like our Facebook page. Uh, if if there's a wrestling show or an album or something that you would like us to, to talk about, you know, send, send us a message on Facebook. Uh, send me a message. Send Chris a message. You know, man, we'll we'll uh, we'll uh, do what whatever we can to make you guys happy and do the shows you want. And all you wrestlers out there, they're listening in on the show. You want to be a you, if if you want to get your gimmick worldwide because the Binge Buster Show is worldwide. Chris, I was looking this week. We had new mm-hmm. new uh, listeners, new um, new subscribers from Japan. So so now wow. so we're getting across the water. Um, and and we're, we're like like I said, and I'm not saying this, fans. I, I promise, I'm 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 not shooting a, a gimmick. I'm not shooting a line. The Binge Buster Show is a worldwide podcast. We're on every major podcast platform: iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube. We're all over. We're like Coca Cola, baby. Um, as our good friend Jimmy Vatt would say, we're like Coca-Cola daddy. We're all over. Um, but but really fans, we are, we, 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 we enjoy this show. I know I'm not making a million dollars to do the show. I'm spending millions to, to do this show because I, I want to have the, the, the best equipment. I want to have the, yeah. the best sound. Uh, you know, I, and so anyway, I, I put the money in because I, it, I, I enjoy it. It's my passion. Uh, you know, I, I've always had this, this thing and it's, and, and it's kind of, you know, it's kind of my Achilles heel. Uh, if I'm doing something, I'm doing it all the way. You know, like when I when I become a professional wrestler, uh, I wasn't getting my, my, my mother, my grandmother, my aunt to sew together a few pieces of, of spandex and go out there looking like I'm wearing a, you know, pair of tights from the Goodwill store. I I got K and H, who's the, who's the people that made all the all the gear for Ric Flair, Dusty Rose, all the big stars. Uh, I paid money to have the real stuff. Uh, the real, the real deal, and I've that's, that's me. I'm always real deal. So I, I try to always, you know, do do the best and have the best sound, best equipment, best look, 
So that's me. I'm not bragging. I'm just being honest. Uh, but again, Chris, no, no. <laughs> you know, hey, you know, you're at the end of the day, uh, you know, you you, you got to give the people what they want. And, uh, you know, I always try to do that. You know, when I was wrestling, I was trying to give them everything they wanted. I wanted to look my best. Um, and, uh, you know, if I come out and say I'm a professional wrestler, I want to, I want to have professional gear. Uh, and so now Absolutely. I yeah. say I'm a professional I, podcaster, so I got to have professional podcast equipment. So anyway, fans, uh, again, thank you for listening to the binge buster show. We appreciate it. Chris. What do you got going on the rest of this week? My friend? Uh, Oh boy. We'll see. I'm, you know, we're going to try to get through the work week here. We'll get into the weekend and gosh, I can't believe it's July 1st next week. And then it'll be 4th of July weekend. The summer's just flying by 2020 flying by, but Hey, we're going to get through all this together. And, and Tony, just coming off what you just said, as you know, I know everything you do, you're going to give it a hundred percent on your end. And I know you are. And, uh, you're rocking and rolling with this show. And I, I look forward to being, even if I'm a little part of it every week, I'm, uh, I'm just tickled think, to be part of it and, and, and to help you out. I mean, I appreciate it, Chris. Well, fans, make sure you tune in each week. Uh, and we'll see you next week here on the Binge Buster Show. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Thank you for listening to the Binge Buster Show. Make sure you like us on Facebook and download us on your favorite podcast platform.